hear these words from the story of Esther chapter 2. After these things, when the anger of King Azarias had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's servants who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in the citadel of Susa under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetic treatments be given to them, and let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. Now there was a Jew in the citadel of Susa whose name was Mordecai, son of Jer, son of Shimi, son of Kish, a Benjaminite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives carried away with King Jeconia of Judah, whom King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had carried away. He had brought up Hadassah, that is, Esther, his cousin, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman was fair and beautiful, and when her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her as his own daughter. When the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in the citadel of Susa in custody of Haggai, Esther was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who, was, who had charge of the women. The young woman pleased him and won his favor, and he quickly provided her with her cosmetic treatments and her portion of food and with seven chosen maids from the king's palace, and he advanced her and her maids to the best place in the harem. Esther did not reveal her people or kindred, for Mordecai had charged her not to tell. Every day, Mordecai would walk back and forth in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and how she fared. The turn came for each young woman to go into King Azharias, and after 12 months under regulations for the women, since this was the regular period of their cosmetic treatment, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with perfumes and cosmetics for women. When the young woman went into the king, she was given whatever she asked for to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she went in. Then in the morning, she came back to the second harem in custody of Shazgaz, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. She did not go again into the king unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. When the turn came for Esther, daughter of, daughter of Abihai, the, king, the uncle of Mordecai, who had adopted her as his own daughter to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was admired by all who saw her. When Esther was taken to King Ahariah in his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all of the other women. Of the, all the virgins, she won his favor and devotion, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great banquet to all his officials and ministers, Esther's banquet. He also granted a holiday to the provinces and gave gifts with royal liberality. When the virgins were gathered together, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. 
Now Esther had not revealed her kindred or her people as Mordecai had charged her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just, when she was, just as when she was brought up by him. In those days when Mordecai was sitting at the king's date, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold, became angry and conspired to kill King Ahasuerus. But the matter came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, both men were hung on the pole. It was recorded in the Book of Annals in the presence of the king. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Lord, may the meditations of all of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, dear Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Has anyone ever seen the VeggieTales version of this story? For those of you who do not know, in the 90s, someone had a brilliant idea of animating vegetables, stay with me, and having them act out Bible stories. And it's really good. I, I know I was born in the 90s, so maybe there's some like nostalgia going on, but like, it's funny. And they tell really good stories. And I know, it's, I know it's ridiculous to be like, this cucumber is, you know, like Joshua from Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. But it works. And don't worry, like, the, the creator of VeggieTales has gone on record saying that, like, vegetables don't have a soul, which is sad, but, like, none of them play Jesus. He thinks that would be a bad idea. So, like, none of them, there's no, like, asparagus playing Jesus out there. And they never say that God loves them. They just say, like, God loves you, the viewer, as a human child. And they do Esther, they do parables, they do literally all these stories from the Bible to try to help kids get a better idea of some of these stories so that you can see them acted out, um, so that you can maybe get, learn a little bit more from them. And they're ridiculous and silly, and there's songs. The one in Esther is actually, like, really beautiful, though, um, if you want to, like, take a little listen. I recently watched this last week while I was preparing for this sermon. Uh, it's free on YouTube. It's about, like, 30 minutes. Uh, I think it's worth a watch, but that's up to you. Um, and, like, they, they changed some things, for sure. Like, you get um, Queen Vashti gets dethroned because she refuses to make the king a sandwich. Um, which is probably a little bit more appropriate for kids. Um, the murderous plot that I just read about um, is two peas trying to drop a piano using a big cake for bait. It's very clever. Um, and instead of like, you know, like this beauty contest thing, it's like an American Idol thing where they all kind of sing and dance to try to win the king's affection. But something that I was really curious about, like the reason like I brought it up was, and like wanted to watch it last week besides a little bit of procrastination was because often in, when I've talked about Esther or engaged in Esther, there's been this weird dynamic in this particular chapter of the story that kind of, I don't know, it doesn't sit right with me. And I wanted to see how VeggieTales as a story for kids engaged with this moment. So in this reading today, we heard of how the king begins a hunt for a new queen. We hear of beauty treatments and harems and uh, pleasing kings and being the best and all this sort of other stuff. And I think 
often we get caught up in that story. I think Americans have a little bit of like royal jealousy, so we kind of like get really excited for kings and queens, and we like the idea of that. I think also the idea of like six months in a spa, like sounds all right to me right now, probably sounds pretty good to some of you. If you've never had a pedicure before, I would highly recommend it. It's really lovely. Um, I think they have manicures now, like manicures. So if you have been holding yourself back from getting one because of your gender, that's not really a thing anymore. And I think we just kind of think it's a wonderful thing for Esther. Like she gets to live the rom-com Cinderella story, the, the thing that we've all been excited about, like the thing that we hold up as an amazing idea. She like is living the good life in our heads, I think sometimes when we tell this story. How do like, we give her this idea that she's supposed to be excited about this, that she should be soaking it all in, that she should be trying to be queen, that she should be so excited that she is queen. And I think we lose the fact, the, the, the identity of who Esther was, who she really was in the society and what was really happening to her in these moments. I think that Esther probably didn't want to go to the palace at all. I think that Esther was probably hoping that at some point she would drop out, that she wouldn't be good enough that they would allow her to leave and go back to her cousin. You see, Esther is an orphan. Her parents are dead. And beyond that, she's not even in her own country anymore. She's stuck in the nation of her conquerors in Susa, far away from anything she might have grown up with. She does have a cousin, Mordecai, who's taking care of her and helping her out. And I don't think she would want to leave that person. And if you remember from the first part of the story, that like chapter one, the king had just banished his current wife for not doing something he ordered her to do and made a law for the entire country to follow that women had to obey the men in their household. That's the world she's living in where that's a law. She's young, she's foreign, she worships a different God than everyone else around her. She's vulnerable. And she gets ripped away from the one person to go serve a king who throws lavish parties and exiles women, who kills people who come before him at the wrong moment in time. This is something we forget, this precarious, vulnerable nature of Esther. And actually, VeggieTales shows this. And I know it's like through a vegetable, so like, you know. But she's asking not to go. She said she'd really prefer not to. She just wants to stay with her cousin. She doesn't want to go to the palace. She's afraid to go before the king. It's not what she wants. But I think we sometimes forget that that might not be what Esther wants. The worry, the fear, what's going to happen to her, how much she's going to lose. In chapter 2, verse, ooh, where is it? In verse 13, when the young woman came to the king, she was given whatever she wanted to take with her from the harem. In the evening, she went in. Then in the morning, she came back to the second harem, to the eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. 
I don't think that was Esther's choice. I don't think that's what Esther wanted. I don't think it's what she would hope for, to be treated as an object, as a force for others to act upon, to be taken away, her autonomy, and what she really wanted. And you know, you can tell that Mordecai is really worried about her as well. Uh, he's wandering up and, out, and down outside the gates to make sure she's okay every single day. He warns her to hide away her Jewishness. He gives her a new name. Uh, we have Hadassah, that's her original name, her Jewish name, which means myrtle, which is a sign of righteousness, a sign of life, a sign of godliness. And it gets changed to the Persian name Esther, which means star, probably for a beauty and stuff like that. But it's also a name, uh, a Hebrew word, Hester, which means hiddenness. Esther gets hidden away, told to hide, told to endure, told to hope that maybe it wouldn't go that way, that maybe she would be all right. She's to hide away who she is. They're worried about her Jewishness causing her harm, about her falling into even more trouble than she was already in. Esther is taken, and we read in these verses, transformed into a queen, given all these beauty treatments, given a mask to wear, to understand how to act. She listens to the, the eunuch and learns how to be a queen, learns how to be a royal, learns how to be all these things that she is not. Or at least it's masked away until God calls it forth. God calls her forth in uh, chapter 4 when Mordecai comes to her desperate for her to help the Jews, desperate for her to help her own people. And she hesitates, she's unsure, but I think I would be a little unsure too. So far she's lived in this world where she's an object to be acted upon. She's had to hide away. She's told to hide away. Like people are so worried about her. They're checking on in on her every single day to make sure she's all right. Now she's told, unmask, put away your hiddenness, and come forward and that will save us. You can save us in that way. The orphaned Jewish girl far from home becomes the one that God works through. She's no longer hidden. I mean, her name is on the book of the Bible that we're reading, in a book where there aren't that many other books named after women. Jewish people still celebrate the work that she did and the festival every year. The unnamed God in the book of Esther works through the renamed hidden girl who is taken to be queen. She goes from someone who was to be acted upon, who was taken to the palace, taken to the king, taken through all these treatments, and becomes someone who goes to the king, who asks for things, who demands justice, who demands more for herself and for her people. What was seen as weakness or something to hide away was something that was actually transformed into one of the most important pieces that helped save her people in the end. Her identity as a Jew helped the king decide to save the Jewish people. I believe that God works and moves in hiddenness sometimes. 
And I find it to be one of the more comforting and beautiful things in our world. We live in a world where God creates balance and intricacies that are amazing. Our bodies heal themselves through all these tiny little intricate workings. God heals and does miracles and throughout time and space, and that is very cool. Like, I love reading the stories of Jesus healing people in the Bible. That's amazing. But I find it even more miraculous that we live in bodies that know how to do that on their own, that we live in a, in a world where things can be healed, that God can work through all of our tiny little DNA and RNA pieces to build a new life, to sustain us and keep us. This miraculous nature of God working in the small and in the hidden and in the vulnerable things is an imprint of the unnamed God throughout time and space. We have a God that uses our fullness even when we might not think it's worthwhile. Maybe we think it's something that should be hidden away. Maybe it's something that we keep quiet. Maybe it's something we just don't notice. But God lives and moves and breathes through those things. God delights in moving in that way. God sometimes is more hidden than we think. And God might take those hidden pieces of us and bring them to the light and allow them to move and help others, help ourselves. What you might be hiding in fear, or just boredom or unsureness, God might use for another purpose. God might use for a grander thing, for love, for care for others, or more. I hope that we can own those parts of us, I hope that we can be unafraid when they're called forth. And I hope that we can notice and take on our own autonomy again when we're asked to. And I hope we can do that before we're asked to. I hope we can embrace the fullness of who we are in each and every moment of the day and delight in the miracle of that. Pray with me. God of the smallest bug on a leaf far away. God who created the pupil and the eye of a baby and the cosmos, the stars, farther than we can even imagine. Thank you for the ways that you've created us each individually. Thank you for the ways that you have breathed uniqueness into each one of us. I pray that you give us the strength to notice, the insight to notice the little things about ourselves and others that are beautiful and miraculous. In your name we pray. Amen.